uh, what we're going to talk about today is an elephant. That's why I've got my lovely friends uh, up here with me this morning. Aren't they so nice? Um, do you like elephants? Who likes elephants in here? I know Miss Diane likes elephants. She's not in here right now. She's counting the offering. But it's, we're going to talk about elephants. And all of us know what an elephant is, right? Right? I mean, it's this animal, this large animal that roams the plains of Africa and the jungles of uh, South Asia. And um, they've been uh, kind of part of the human workforce in those areas for years. And they're bordering on extinction in some places. But uh, the elephant I want to focus on today is not this elephant that roams the plains. I want to focus on a different elephant today. And this elephant uh, was first written about in 1814. This elephant was written about by a, a, a Russian uh, man who wrote fables, and his name was Ivan Krylov. And his elephant that he wrote about is world famous. And once I say who the elephant is, all of you are going to know who this elephant is. And some of your wheels are spinning and your brains are thinking. And uh, no, it's not Dumbo. I know some of you thought Dumbo. No, he didn't write about Dumbo. That was a Disney thing. Um, he did not invent Dumbo. Uh, this elephant was found in a fable titled The Inquisitive Man. What is, what's the famous elephant that I am talking about? It's the elephant in the room. What's the elephant in the room? It's a controversial topic that, that, that causes emotion to rise up in people, right? It causes people to have a dramatic emotional response. Politics is one of those issues. That's not what we're going to be talking about today. And so what is the elephant in the room that we're going to be talking about today? It's giving and finances. Woohoo! I know you're all excited about that one, right? Some of you tensed up. Some of you got like, uh, oh, no, 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 don't do that. And then some of us got excited like uh, Mr. Charles got excited about it. But why is this subject such a sensitive subject to talk about? Why do we have such emotion when somebody gets up here and talks about finances? Well, number one is because the church and people in my position have had a history of using this position and the church to bully people when it comes to their finances, okay? And so that's been there, and the church has done that, and we've even seen it in recent years where ministries have declared to their churches and to the people that follow them, they've said, look, you know, I need like $60 million for an airplane, and so I need you to give me $60 million for an airplane, and that's, I can't do ministry unless I have this airplane, I just want you to know that this church is not like that. We're not looking for 60 million for an airplane, okay? I don't know what we would do with an airplane. Frankie's got one, that's all we need here, right? Frankie's got an airplane. But myself, our staff, and our board know that we're gonna stand accountable to God as to how we steward the money that's given to this church. And we don't take that responsibility lightly. We take it very seriously. The second reason that this topic is sensitive is because many of us are not submitting to it in the first place. The reason is, I think, because we feel like God is up there in this place. He's not down here living the life that I am living. 
And so therefore, he has no understanding. He has no comprehension. He has no anything in regards to what it means to live my life and have the money that I have. And therefore, it's none of his business what I do with my money in the first place. And so I don't need to listen to anything that Jesus says in regards to money because he, he just doesn't have, I work the job, I get the check, it's I, 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 it's nothing about Jesus. And so we're, just, we're not going to talk about that. That makes me uncomfortable. We don't like to be uncomfortable, so we avoid the subject. Yet as taboo as this subject is to us, Jesus talked about it a lot. He talked about this more than any other thing that he's on, uh, than on any other subject in the New Testament. And I've mentioned this before, but taking everything that he discussed throughout his three years of ministry into account, Jesus talked about money 15% of the time. That's a higher percentage than his discussions on faith, prayer, or heaven and hell combined. So you may be wondering, why is that? Why would Jesus spend 15% of his time talking about money? There's one basic reason. Money is our foundational indicator in our life. Money, most of the time, will dictate our path in life. This is not just true in the physical, but Jesus says this is true in the spiritual realm as well. Money, Jesus taught, is the doorway through which we enter into all manners of different idolatry. That door swings wide open with money and we walk through and we grab all kinds of things, grab a hold of things that rob our heart's affection from God. And Jesus knew that we would walk through that doorway when we had money and that we'd exchange the glory of God for things that don't satisfy And because he knew this, he knew that how we spent our money had a direct impact on our spiritual walk and our spiritual relationship. That's why it was the subject that he talked about the most in the New Testament, okay? Because he knew that how we gave, how we saved, and how we spent have a direct impact on our spiritual lives. And you're saying, well, is that really so? Well, let's talk about how we judge things here in this world right now. So when we generally sit back and talk about how the President of the United States is doing, what kinds of things do we look at? Do we look at how good of an education our children are getting? Is that one of the primary things that we put up there? No, we don't really talk about education. Well, is it healthcare? Do we talk about healthcare and how everyone's healthcare is good or bad or whatever? No, we don't talk about that either, do we? The primary thing that we use to judge a president is usually, how's the economy? How's my pocketbook doing? Am I doing better? Are there jobs being created? All of those things directly dealing with finances is generally how we judge how a president does. The same thing is true with businesses. I mean, think about a business. When they go into a business to discover whether or not a business is healthy in its operations, what do they say? Are you in the black? Are you in the red? You know, how much in the black are you? You know, are you expanding? And it all has to do with finances. And so finances in our world is a way that we judge health. And so Jesus judges spiritual health, and one of the factors is our finances. Money has power. It has real power in this world. And so Jesus uses it as a measuring stick. He could have talked about how much people read their Bible, how much they pray, maybe the amount of time they spend fasting or how often they're in church, but he didn't. He never looked at someone and said, man, listen, you read your Bible two hours a day, 
You spend another two hours in prayer. You fast two times a week. Um, um, You've just got it all together. You're spiritually sound. You're spiritually healthy. You're spiritually well. As a matter of fact, we're going to read a story in a little bit where a guy came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, look look at how spiritual I am. And he presented all of these things to Jesus and Jesus pointed him back to his finances to determine where his true spiritual health was at. So hear me on this, though. I am not saying that reading your Bible, that praying, that fasting, that all those other things that we use to measure spiritual health are not important and that we should not be doing those things, okay? We should be doing those things. They are important and they are very valuable. However, Jesus makes the point that your heart can't be in the right place with God without, without, without also giving of your finances. Why? Because where, where your treasure is, there your heart will go. These words are recorded in the book of Matthew chapter 6, uh, and it's in verses 19 through 21. That's where we're going to start this morning. Matthew is the first book of what is called the New Testament, and so if you open in the New Testament, you shouldn't find Matthew. If you have trouble with it or don't have a Bible with you, it's fine. We're going to have it on the screen behind me for you to follow along. This is what it says in Matthew uh, chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, so let's start with this word heart here. He's talking about our heart. And when he's talking about our heart, he's not talking about that thing inside of our chest that's beating, okay? He's not, that's not what he's referring to when he says heart. But when Jesus says heart, he's referring to our emotions. He's referring to, you know, where we put our attachments at, the things that we deeply and truly love. And what Jesus, is says, what Jesus says here is true, or says here is true, right? The things that we deeply and truly love end up getting our money. Dana, for instance, now, I, told her, I told her beforehand that I was going to do this, so it didn't catch her by surprise, but Dana loves kitchen gadgets. How many women in this room love kitchen gadgets? Yeah, we've got a, all right, Barbara Rose loves them. All right, we've got, we've got a KitchenAid mixer. We've got a rotisserie. We've got a Nutra Ninja. We've got uh, all kinds of other gadgets, and the other night, we're sitting there, uh, we're in bed just before we went to sleep, and she's like, ooh, and I'm like, what? She's like, I found another kitchen gadget we need, okay? It's just like, it's her passion, okay? And, and she loves them so much that it's hard to part with them sometimes. Like, we had a deep fryer, okay? We never used this deep fryer. We had it for years, and it just sat there, and finally I said, why do we keep moving this thing? We're not even using it, and, uh, and so... We, de- we, uh, we separated with our deep fryer, but there was much weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth with our separation from our deep fryer. But every year there's a new gadget for the kitchen that she'd like to buy that will make our life better and is, more ha- is very happy spending $200 on something like that, even though it maybe gets used once or twice a year, or maybe like once or twice every decade like our ice cream maker. Um, But her heart is with the kitchen gadgets, and so money goes there because of it. Now, hear what I'm not not saying here. I'm not saying Jesus doesn't want us to spend money on things that we love, okay? That is not what is being said. 
What he is saying here is that if the place that you are first and foremost placing your treasure is into your own kingdom, then your heart does not reside, your love does not reside with Jesus. It instead resides with you and your own kingdom. It means you are serving yourself and your own God. See, Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that money had this power to get a hold of our hearts and get a hold of our lives. And, uh, and that's why he said, you know what? This is gonna keep you. This is one of the biggest things that's gonna keep you from what God has for you. And so listen, I'm trying to do whatever I can to make sure that you're free from it. There's a, we can see this story illustrated uh, or we can see kind of things unfold, the things that I, I had talked about a few minutes ago, a story uh, in regards to a man who came to Jesus Jesus, who was doing all the spiritual things, but we can see the, the, the grip that finances gets on our heart in this story, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 next, uh, so if you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, then uh, we're going to be there in Luke chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 18 through 25, and this rich young ruler comes to Jesus, okay? And uh, this is the conversation that Jesus and this rich young ruler have in, uh, in Luke 18. It says, a certain ruler asked him, Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know all the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the first thing that I think that you and I will focus on here is this word rich. Because we look at our lives and we know we're not rich, right? Mark Zuckerberg, he's rich. Donald Trump, yeah, he's rich. LeBron James, he's rich. But me? Come on, man. Give you a couple of stats here. The poorest American is in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. Top 5%. Now, if we take this and not just go with today's world, but stretch this across time and we take the history of this planet, the average American is wealthier, is, the, is part of the wealthiest 1% of the population that has ever lived on this planet. And that includes people who have government assistance in that. Okay, so we are rich, we are wealthy, we have a lot of money. Listen to this, a third of the world lives on $2 a day. How many of you could make it on $2 a day? You couldn't even make it on $2 an hour getting paid that, right? A third of the world lives on that. What's even crazy, I mean, this is just crazy. And so us dismissing this and saying this does not apply to us is incorrect because it does apply to us. And it should shake us that Jesus says it's almost impossible. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That should bother us. I mean, that should really bother us. And, and what, I'm not, what I'm saying here is I'm not saying that money is the way to heaven. 
Okay, that is not what I'm saying at all. The way to heaven is through Jesus' death and resurrection and us praying a prayer and, and, and all of those things. But the point that Jesus is making is that when we do all of those things, but yet hold back money from God, we really don't have Jesus' first place in our life in the first place. You see, Jesus doesn't want second place in any of our lives. Jesus doesn't want to be second in anything. And if we're going to say, you know what, you're second or third or fourth or fifth in this one area, he says, you know what, I'm not first place at all in your life and I cannot be your Lord and Savior unless I have first place in your life. He doesn't take part-time followers. He doesn't allow us to keep anything back. It's either give it all up and have treasure in heaven or don't have heaven at all. The rich young ruler didn't want to reroute his treasure, and because of that, his heart couldn't be rerouted to what he was looking for. It says that he just walked away on the Son of God because his heart loved the money more than it loved Jesus. But see, there's another event involving money with a different outcome found in the next chapter of Luke. And so if you're still in Luke 18, just turn to chapter 19. And uh, we're going to read about a man named Zacchaeus. He may be famous to some of you as his story is told in the famous rock ballad, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Here we go. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, really little. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, for the Lord he wanted to see. Hello. All right, how many of you could sing that whole song for us? Yeah, right. Okay, his story we're going to read in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 19, and this is what it says. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to, came to seek and to save the lost. What's similar in these two stories? Two rich men meet Jesus and talk with him. What is the difference in these two events? The first guy wanted to know what he had to do to get into heaven. And for many people, that's all they're looking for, is that get out of hell free card. Jesus came, though, to transform our lives so that we could live the purpose that God has for us. And that's what happened to Zacchaeus. He met Jesus face to face, and his response to Jesus was, here are half of my possessions. Jesus never told Zacchaeus he needed to give up anything. But here he is, handing over half of his possessions and then saying, if there's anyone else I cheated, I'll give them four times back what I took from them. 
And after seeing that, Jesus says salvation has truly come to this house. Why? Not because he gave up all of his money, but because he held nothing back from God. He held absolutely nothing back. When he encountered Jesus, Jesus took first place in his heart, and he was able to push everything off to the side and put Jesus in first place, including in his finances. It was an indicator that Jesus had become first in his life. If our worship team could come back up. See, our money and what we do with it matters. And here's a scary thing. Many people in the church handle their money in such an unbiblical way that if they were to take what Jesus said at face value, the only thing that we conclude is that for many of us, our hearts don't belong to God. Instead, our hearts belong to money, our affections are with our treasure, and our true gods are the idols that money give us to worship. So the question this morning is this, where are you? Where does money stand in your life? Have you been squirming the whole time I've been up here talking? Are you angry right now because of this conversation and you want to tell me it's none of my darn business what you do with your finances. The deal is that if this makes you mad, if this makes you frustrated, angry, or think that God has no place telling you anything about money, it's probably a good idea that you look at your heart, be honest with yourself, and ask yourself the question, who is really sitting on as the Lord of my life? Is it me or is it truly Jesus? Because here's my concern. I want everyone to make it to heaven. I don't want anyone to miss out. I don't want anyone in this room to miss out. I don't want anyone in this community, in this county, in this state, in this country, in this world to miss out on what God has for them. But if Jesus is being honest here in these texts, and I have no reason to think he's not, and our attitude is what we just mentioned, Jesus is probably not the God we are truly following. Now hear this. This is the key takeaway today, so I want you guys to hear this. Just because you give, it doesn't mean that your heart is in the right place. However, your heart cannot be in the right place unless you give. Does that make sense? There's nothing, just because you give, that doesn't mean you're right with God. But you can't be in a place where you're totally surrendered to him unless you are giving and allow him to have that place in your life and their finances. And some people will say, well, wait a minute. What about my time? What about my talents? I mean, in the world, they pay me for my time. They pay me for my talents. And so isn't giving those just like me giving finances? No, because Jesus really asked for all three of those. He asked for our time, he asked for our talents, and he asked for our finances. But of those three, our finances is the most important because of this. Because it, deter it shows who is really sitting on the throne of our heart and our life. And when we start to give, and when we start to give more than we're comfortable with giving, that thing 
that's there that is saying to us, you're crazy, you're stupid, what are you doing? You need that money. It loses its power in our life. It loses its grip on us. And suddenly you go from a person who's afraid to give to somebody who's excited when God gives you the opportunity to give. And when you get to a place where you're excited about the opportunity to give, you know that God has your heart, he has your life, he has you, and you're going where he wants you to go. And so in closing, I just want to say, you know, this I faced this same struggle in my life. There was a time where I didn't think I could give. There was a time when I didn't think, well, God doesn't want my finances because I don't have enough. But it wasn't until I came to the place and realized that I had enough and that God was challenging me to make him Lord even of my finances that I saw true breakthrough in our financial situation, in our home, in our family, in our life. 